Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. everybody welcome back to the podcast and we're in a way back to square one exactly where we started six or seven months ago Paul in the McCreevy household upstairs in a bedroom and uh, we're back to our old ways um, after all the excitement of, of our interviews with Pete Tattersall and, and Kevin in Dublin it's back to two blokes chuntering on about records <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say I'm quite looking forward to it it's been a long time since we've recorded anything isn't it two months now yeah it's, it's, it's been a while it's great to be back in the saddle and with um, a big subject today mm. the Graham Gorman things you might call it yes his songs we, we could go a long way but we, we reckon we might only get through the 60s today because there's such a lot to talk about even there I think so too and um if I can put you in the driving seat on this one, Paul, and if I'm the Kevin Lollist, I think you're definitely <laughs> the, the Gouldmanite. Yeah, and the uh, Ericistus, possibly, if, <laughs> yeah. that, if, if that is a word. Although I'm, I'm an Eric, uh, an Eric Easter, <laughs> uh, certainly on his recording uh, exploits, the engineering, I, you know, I, I, I bow to his brilliance. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to getting stuck into the works of Graham and there are many many of those aren't there there are um, and this is a, a difficult thing to it's difficult to marshal our thoughts into a sort of cohesive whole here it's, it's like almost when you're looking at other songwriters who weren't predominantly performers at least originally because there's such a wealth of material it's scattered hither and thither a lot of these songs were hits but some other great songs weren't hits and it's only when you start to kind of bring it all together and pile it all into into one place, you start to see a picture and you start to see yeah. what incredible body of work it was. Now, I was thinking just recently, if Graham had come along just a couple of years later, he probably would have been a singer-songwriter. Mm. He certainly had the chops, you know, great guitarist, good vocalist, with a really warm sound that sort of draws you in. I think he would have been a successful singer-songwriter. Maybe, maybe. I mean, when we come on to maybe his first solo album, hmm. um, you know, we may have differing opinions there. Okay. Uh, but but I'm with you. Uh, he, he certainly was an extremely accomplished singer-songwriter. Yes, um, that's right. The, the, the point I was just making that it would be much easier to see the wood for the trees, as it were. Yeah. Um, but it all happened very quickly for Graham. Uh, he was into music from from an early age. Um, he was in a band called The Whirlwinds, mm. uh, which sort of coalesced around the uh, the Jewish Lads Brigade. I think that was where they formed, where where they sort of did their music socially. Yeah. And they, they became the house band at that club, didn't they? Yes, I believe so. That's right. Um, and he was galvanised into songwriting action by the Beatles, like so many before and, and since. Um, on the record producer's interview he talks about experiencing a chemical reaction when he heard please please me hmm. um, and so I think we can sort of date his serious songwriting aspirations from from that stage and the Beatles will really be a, a touchstone here where we're talking about the 60s yeah um, particularly um, the time of a hard day's night I think and uh, hopefully we're going to draw some parallels between what the Beatles were doing um, and what Graham um, 
you know, uniquely then combine that with lots of other influences into his own songs. Absolutely. Well, as we know, Graham was very lucky to, to come uh, under the influence of, of Harvey Lisberg um, very early on, who was a fan. Um, and Harvey uh, gained enormous success with Herman's Hermits um, in 1964, really. And then he went back to Graham and he told us when we interviewed him that he, he wanted to manage the whirlwinds and he wasn't able to because there was a manager mm. in place but when he came back now with, with a lot of success under his belt he had some clout and um, he started managing and mentoring Graham and he put him on a retainer um, so it was a, a lovely um, space in which Graham could work because he had to, he was able to earn, earn a living now essentially being a songwriter or had something to fall back on yeah um, and of course, his his first hit was the breakthrough for your love. For your love. For your love. Which is an interesting song, and um, it was uh, of course a hit for the Yardbirds. Yeah. Um, and it had all sort of ripples in the pond because uh, did you know this? I think Eric Clapton left. The Yardbirds at that point, because mm. he didn't like the pop direction mm. that that, uh, that the songs were were taking. Um, but of course, Jimmy Page st stuck around for a while, didn't he? Oh, uh, hang on. What was the, what's the order of the Yardbirds guitarists? Because it because Beck was also in the Yardbirds, wasn't yeah. he? Didn't um, he leave before Jimmy Page? Uh, I'm, I'm not an expert. Well, here. Sorry, we're slightly we're, we're slightly off um, <laughs> off piste here. Yeah. British Blues Boom uh, podcast will direct you in that. Yeah. To, to, to them, but I wanted to talk about "For Your Love," if I may, because it's a very primitive song. It's basically got four chords in it, which I'm going to play. Yeah. Um, and these four chords, uh, hopefully, will illustrate some of the musical influences that may have been coming through very early on. The first thing to say, and Graham admits this, is, is that he essentially remodelled House of the Rising Sun by the animals. Yeah. Um, and Graham is fascinated by this particular chord change. In this key, it's E minor to G, and it's a relative minor going to, to the relative major. Yeah. Um, the first two chords are those two, and then you get this other very distinctive change, which is... which is a parallel major going to a parallel minor. What uh, are the chords there, Paul? Uh, A to A minor. Yeah. So you've got uh, essentially two of his favourite devices really reduced to their most primitive state. It's literally just four chord changes and, and the melody is written over the top of that, obviously. Yeah. A slight rewrite of House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, and um, quite a few sort of chromatic descending bass line type things going on around that time in British pop, weren't there? Yes. Graham seems to use it a lot. Yeah, he, d he does, he does. As we go through a lot of this 60s material, Paul, we'll see those quite unusual chord changes cropping up an awful lot. Um, and I like that kind of the unexpected quality in, in Graham's uh, use of chords. 
there's almost always an unexpected one in a verse or a chorus uh, that just just twists the universe ever so slightly. Um, accidental notes, aren't they? So it's almost like a, a brief key change. And I think uh, it, it makes his songwriting all the more interesting. And I, I think that chord sequence is, is typical. Yes, and it, it, that's right. And because it's fairly straightforward and, and simple, uh, it, it, it's quite illustrative of, of what of what remains, but then is, is given more complexity and yeah. uh, and more sophistication later on. Sure. Um, we'll go back to the Beatles as, as an influence in a minute, but the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, the influence of Jewish music. Now, full disclaimer here, I'm, I know nothing about Jewish culture and I know nothing really about Jewish music, but I, I have done a bit of research and it's, it's really interesting. Um, uh, in a synagogue, the cantor will uh, utilise different Jewish prayer modes. And when we say modes, we actually mean musical modes. Mm. Um, one of them is the Fijian uh, mode, which um, I don't actually see a lot of use of in Graham's music. That's the stereotypical Jewish sounding um, and how does that manifest itself, Paul? Um, it has uh, flattened, getting technical, has flattened two, flattened three and flattened six, I think. The easiest way to illustrate that is, uh, and apologies for the pronunciation, the Hava Nagila, this well-known yep. Jewish song. Instantly sounds probably the Jewish. most famous. Uh... Yeah, pro- probably that's right. One of the other modes, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but is spelled M A G E I N A V O T. This is based around a minor scale. That's the Aeolian mode, with occasional detours into the Dorian mode. What that effectively means is that the cantor is improvising melodies over the religious text and at key points he moves from the Aeolian mode to the Dorian mode. That really means the guy is like a blues guitarist moving from A minor, say, to C major. He's actually moving, he's doing the same chord change that Graham does at the beginning of For Your Love. Okay. Uh, and that's actually the, within the rules of the uh, of the religious texts and music. That's the mm. way it's supposed to operate, which I find quite interesting. Sure. And am I right in thinking that traditional Jewish m- music has a slight element of the sort of Middle Eastern flavour where um, you get a lot of sort of chromatic movement, with very um, small movements from semitone to semitone to semitone? Yes. It sounds exotic to our ears, doesn't it? Whenever you hear... There's usually half a dozen tunes on Eurovision that have that kind of flavour to them. Yeah, that's that's back to the Fijian mode, really, right, right, because okay. you, because you've got this flat two and the the natural three, and you've got a very unusual set of notes around that that scale. Yeah, does but, it give it a diminishedy sort of feel? Yeah, kind of. Where you've got flattened, you've got more flattened notes than than you normally would. That's right. It's it, it's unusual to our ear. It's almost like a pungent sound. Mm. Um, and what's the what's the emotional effect? Is it does it make it more melancholy? Yes, very much so. Although this other this uh, scale here that we're talking about, the one which us- utilizes the um, Aeolian and, and Dorian mode, that's really the melancholy one. Never 
It's essentially a minor key with a touch of major coming here and there. And it's the tension between the two mm. which add to the melancholy. And that seems to be one of the devices that perhaps unconsciously Graham picked up on mm. when he was writing songs. And this, this change, is this, this A minor to C or E minor to G, crops up again and again in his songs. And we'll try and illustrate that as we yeah. go. And of course, he's also going from major to minor, isn't he, a lot? And yes. I, I suspect we're going to be talking about that a lot today. I'd give the moon if it were mine to give. I'd give the stars and the sun this was a, a monster hit, wasn't it, for the Yardbirds? Yeah, that's right. Harvey told us that hilarious story about how he was determined to place it with the Beatles, yeah. with that great uh, ambition and drive of his. But but he got the next best thing. He got it to the Yardbirds, um, and, it, and it was a, a massive hit for them. And they followed with two more uh, Graham songs, Evil Hearted You and Heartful of Soul, yeah. which, which, to my mind, aren't amongst my favourites. They're... they're they're kind of copies of For Your Love to me. They, yes. don't, they don't have the elegance of some of the later pop tunes, although um, they were obviously very successful. Yeah, I, I like Heartful of Soul. Um, even more than that, my favourite of his Yardbirds tunes uh, is You Stole My Love. Okay. And I think they only actually partially recorded it, didn't they? Yeah, there's a great clip, and perhaps we can play it, of them wrestling with it, and they never, they never completed it, I think, let alone released it. I like You Stole My Love. It was um, the, the Mockingbirds, which, um, uh, which is the, the, the next group in, in, in the lineage, if you like, that the whirlwinds evolved into, and of course had Kevin as a drummer. Yes. Um, they released, I think it was five singles. Um, some of them weren't written entirely by Graham, and, and um, some were either co-writes or, or covers, essentially. But I think there's a couple of standouts. You Stole My Love is, is, is a great single. It's one of my favourite early Graham tunes. Yeah, it bridges... It's got that R&B feel, but it's bridging into pop music, I, I think. Yeah, with, with, with darker tinges, a, a kind of a psychedelic uh, tinge to it, which I, uh, is where my ears really prick up with, with, with this stuff. And it'd be interesting here, Paul, I think, if we, if we look at the development of the Mockingbird stuff... They tried out a few different styles and genres, didn't they, in their short career? They did. Um, this was, I think, indicative of, of Harvey's influence. He was really trying to get a hit for that band or get a hit for Graham as a performer. Yeah. And later he paired him with different collaborators and they tried all different kind of combinations. And eventually, though, they just fell back on the idea, well, he'll just be a writer. Yeah. Uh, and I think they sort of accepted that. But just going back to the Mockingbirds, their first single, um, That's How It's Gonna Stay. Do you know that one? Yes, I do. That's a, a gorgeous pop song. Let me tell you about this girl I find. She's been loving me for a long, long time. She's been loving me for a long, long time. That's how it's gonna stay. And that was a, a very, very early song. Um, 
I think it was uh, possibly the first song he wrote. I think it even predated For Your Love from a from a songwriting point of view. Yeah, it's still got tinges of Jerry and the Pacemakers and that sort of stuff, hasn't it? It has. Well, it's got the um, it's got the magical mediant. This is a, a bit of Beatles. I'm loving this, Paul. <laughs> bit of Beatles influence here. Paul McCartney talks about how if they were stuck, they could always make a song out of a particular change. And here he's talking about the one chord to the three chord, which is in this key, it's G to B minor. The Beatles use it all the time. Yeah. And, and Graham here, very early on, latches onto this chord and then he kind of cycles back to the home chord again. And it, I love that's how it's going to stay. It's a little bit gauche, I think, musically. But once he's off and running with that first change, he's able to kind of, he's got the propulsion to, to get the rest of the verse in. So here's the change. Let me tell you about this girl of mine. I've been loving her for a long, long time. Da, 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 How it's going to stay. It's a lovely little tune, and it's all propelled along from that initial change. That's right. Which is there, a, yeah, there's a, a part of the song, Paul, and perhaps we need to re-listen re to it now. Um, there's a, a part where it, it kind of alternates backwards and forwards between two chords. Yes. And it, it reminded me a little bit of Listen People, one of the hits he wrote for, for Herman's Hermits. Yeah, I think you what mean... What are those two chords? I think you're talking about the C major 7, B minor. Uh, hang on. Yeah, that's another common device, kind of rocking between two chords. And he often is using one of those chords softened up with that lovely major seven sound. Yeah, and that, that's a lovely change, that. And I, I like it when Graham does that in songs. Um, and as we go through this, this episode... Perhaps I'll be I'll be being a little bit critical occasionally mm -hmm. um, because for me on some songs Graham tends to overcrowd the, the the songs with chords. I think it's almost like there has to be a, a new chord or two new chords for every bar, and sometimes it, you can't catch up. It's like some of Godly and Cream's stuff where there's, there's literally a bit too much going on. And when he simplifies things mm -hmm. and, and digs his heels in with a lovely two-chord progression that repeats, mm -hmm. it, suddenly it feels it, I can breathe and enjoy and it's more catchy, it's a bit more hooky. Well, I don't have to tell you that I love you so and that I You agree, but uh, I, I really like that aspect of Graham's songwriting. It doesn't happen as as often as I would like it to. That's interesting. Gotta be horses for courses. Yeah. I think he's a master craftsman, and I like the way he's constantly moving from chord to chord. At least in his best work, it always feels elegant. It doesn't feel forced or kind of um, pushed in like some of the Kevin Lowell stuff can. It sounds or very organic to me. I do agree. Yeah, in the main, I would say. In the, in the I, main. I do agree that, I mean, he's, he always gives you value for money. He'll gi he <laughs> always gives you. Three times more chords than anyone <laughs> yeah. else.
Well, and sections, right? Yeah. Um, the song like um, Bus Stop and No Milk Today, we'll have a look at those. Like a lot of songs of that ilk, they have three sections, but instead of a verse, chorus and middle eight, they're a little bit more nebulous, these sections. You're not quite sure mm. where the chorus is, perhaps, or when you're going to the middle eight. And I don't know whether that might feed back to your, your feeling of... of, of confusion if that's the right word or but i really lo- i really love those aspects of, of of graham's writing it's almost like a godly and cream style cut to a different scene right where, where the flavor changes and i really like that no for me it's, it's sometimes a feeling that the verses in particular are overcrowded right uh, and the melody um and the, the the chord movements don't have enough room to breathe in like an overstuffed shelf Yes, exactly. <laughs> bargains, uh, bargains unlimited. Yeah, that, that's right. When I hear young voices singing up the bells at home come ringing up. All right, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's have a look at a, a couple of songs specifically. Let's, let's yeah. By the way, that wasn't my tummy rumbling. That was uh, our dog, Doddy. Ah, yes. Uh, who's, uh, I think, spotted someone outside. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies for that, folks. The postman again, is it? So what, what have you got? For, well, let's, have, let's have a look at No Milk Today. Um... Because uh, it's this, 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 and that was his first hit for Herman's Hermits, is that right? Well, in in England, I think. Um, just going back to the chronology, uh, Harvey Lisberg, the manager of of Herman's Hermits, obviously wanted Graham's songs um, for use by that band. Now, the first song I think Herman Herman's Hermits did was "Listen, People," uh, okay, yes. which was a big hit in America, um, but wasn't wasn't released here. Uh, which surprised me because I'm sure it would have been a, a hit, and I love that song. It, it's almost got the like a Goffin King level of uh, uh, standard. Uh, you know, it sounds like a standard. I agree, and and uh, it, it brought out a real maturity in Herman's Hermits as well. I believe. I think Peter Noon's delivery is really really mature. Yeah, I think he's a really underrated singer. Yeah, it, it, and the chorus is wonderful. And again, it's got those alternating two chords. Yeah, it has, isn't it? Listen, people. Now, here's the value for money thing, right? Because you start with that riff, a beautiful riff. Mm. Now, nor- a songwriter, I think, would normally build the verse over that same riff, but it, it's not. It's never quite the same. The material's related, but it's different. Mm. Here, the verse goes to a different chord when he starts it. Listen, people, etc. All standard chords within the key of A major, yeah? Yeah, yeah, standard stuff. And here's the two you're talking about. Everybody's got the button, but it's sometimes. Everybody's got the heart. It's great stuff, isn't it? I love that. And when that chorus kicks in, I absolutely love that. And again, you get your third section. You will see. You will find 
And there's that there's that, that accidental chord thrown in there. Paul. Did it go, does it go from E major to G major? Yeah, there? he's coming out of the key yeah, just I'd, to give it that little bit of um, very beatly to do that. Yeah, that's a real that's a real beatle move. The kind of thing that you hear Noel Gallagher or McFly or any of those sort of bands do. They deliberately throw in that that little twist. That's right. Which yeah, is lovely. just just kind of piques your interest and it makes that middle section feel different it feels a bit more rocky yeah almost um uh, that section as opposed to the very lyrical um intro verse and chorus sure a gorgeous gorgeous song take my advice and you always find and you'll be happy all of the time take my advice and you will see you'll be happy yeah, and that chorus, that those two chords, they're C sharp minor to B minor. Yeah, C sharp minor to B minor, which are um, the, the two and the three chord of the home key, really, aren't they? So they're diatonic chords. If the home key is A, yeah, like a here, there, and everywhere type thing. Very simple, but but really satisfying. It's it's always the context and the, and the juxtaposition of the different sections that that, that makes the magic, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, great song. Uh, so that was that was the first hit then that he wrote for for Herman's Hermit. Yes, it, as I say, it's a massive hit in America, <clears throat> and No Milk Today, uh, which, which didn't do that well in America, surprisingly, was was a massive hit. Well, I guess they, they don't have milkmen, do they? In the stuff. <laughs> yeah, good question. I suppose it didn't mean anything. <clears throat> no milk today, my love has gone away. The bottle stands forlorn, a symbol of the dawn. No milk today, it seems a common sight, but people passing by don't know the reason. I love the premise of No Milk Today, and I love that lovely thing of the empty milk bottle somehow symbolising uh, the, the split in the relationship. We need to talk about the lyrics, don't we, uh, of, of this stuff. Some of them are just fabulous. And, of course, we need to talk about the, the enormous influence that his dad, Jaime, had oh, on yeah. his songs. Yeah. So we could perhaps do that a little bit later in the episode, couldn't we? Yeah, let's stay on the music for now, but yeah. we're definitely going to uh, uh, investigate that, that fantastic songwriting relationship between the two of them. Sure. Uh, let's have a quick look at No Milk Today, which, yeah. again, has got a stew of these chord changes. Um, where do you stand on that one? Do you like it? Has it got too many bits, too many chords? Uh, I really like the song. It's not up there in my top ten of his songs. Uh, I, I guess I like the lyrics better than I like the tune. Okay. I'm not overly keen when the melody goes down really low. I've not as yet heard anyone who sings that very oh, nicely. Oh, bottle stands for long. Yeah, even so though the, I think the, the, the lyrics are brilliantly cheesy the bottle stands for lawn a symbol of the dawn I yeah mean, I, I kind of love that and i kind of wince when i hear it um but yeah the, the melody has just got a little bit too much of that goldman busyness that i was talking about before okay but that's my personal well thing. let's let's break that down a bit this yeah. is an, this is a very interesting song but perhaps we can bring in the beatle influence here the beatles album of early of mid 1964 hard day's night used a device uh, again and again lots of songs and i love her i'll be back things we said today different way of getting from major to minor the parallel change uh, okay. which we briefly talked uh when we looked at for your love it had this change um i'm thinking of uh, you know the song i'll be back by the beatles yeah. you know if you break my heart i'll go but 
I'll be back again. There's a change to the parallel major. And in fact, the fade out of that song is just rocking between the two. Dun, da, 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 da. There's the major, here's the minor. Dun, da, 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 da. Yeah. That changes all over Hard Day's Night. Yeah. And Graham really started using that. Okay, he already had, had used it in its kind of primitive form, if you like, in For Your Love. But here he builds transitions from section to section on that change. So the opening of No Milk Today uh, is the first two chords are again this relative minor. No milk today, check two major. The the Bible stands for lawn, the symbol of the dawn. That's a bit you don't like so much because it's low. No milk today. Now here comes the change to the parallel major. How could they know? This one message me. The end of my hopes, the end of all my dreams. So he's juxtaposing uh, the first section of the song in the minor and then and then the parallel major for the second song. Yeah, okay. Is second. it a key change, Paul, from the verse to the chorus? I'm no. just looking at your chords there. Well, that's a D minor that it starts with, yeah? A minor, sorry. Oh, A minor. Yes. Oh, I see. So it's not a key change as such. It's just a different mode, if you like. It feels like the verse is in C uh, and, the, and the chorus is in A major. Well, well, you could. I suppose you could. I think you'd have to say the verse is in A minor, wouldn't you? Because well, A minor, yeah. Well, A minor and C are relative keys, anyway, aren't they? They're relative, but I think that that's important. And we're, well, I'm kind of out on a limb here on my musical theory, but it's. I think the first section is weighted to the minor because yeah. it starts and ends on the minor. Yeah. And and the you, there's a lot more minor chords than major chords. Whereas I think that is a pivot to to the to the parallel sure. major in the second and because, section. And um, sorry to, to keep banging on about this, <laughs> but um, the third chord in the verse. Yeah. Can, can you just play the first three chords, please, yeah. Paul? A minor to C, and then E. Yeah, and, and again that that E chord is thrown in as a, as as a, as a little tickly hand grenade, uh, exactly in the way that I've already talked about. Just that tiny twist uh, to, to the. A hint of a key change, yes. which adds a lot of spice yeah, it to, does. to the 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 melodic flow of the song. I, I like that very much. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's a great it's a great song, um, allied to a great lyric, of course. Bus stop um, is similar. I won't won't play that, but it uses similar devices. Again, it goes to the the, the parallel major. Um, we need to talk about the Hollies, of course. That was another huge uh, success for, for Graham. The first song that the Hollies recorded was, was Look Through Any Window, which I don't think was written specifically for them, but I believe that Bus Stop was actually custom-made for the Hollies. Okay. Which was their first big hit, I think, in America. So, in yeah. uh, that was a huge, uh, a hugely important song for them. And, and of course, the, what happened after the, the Hollies, uh, eventually with um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and, and all the history that went with that. So it's interesting. Graham was um, at the forefront of all these ripples in the pond, if you like. You know, it, it made uh, uh, Eric Clapton. Uh, leave the Yardbirds, and then it sort of brought success uh, to Graham Nash and his his 
history after. Yeah. So it was sort of very influential. Talking about the musical community a little bit, have you seen that wonderful documentary by David Oppenheimer, um, Inside Pop, The oh, Rock yes. Revolution? Famously with Brian Wilson's Surf's Up clip on it? Yeah, that's right. This uh, amazing clip of Brian Wilson... Um, uh, playing Surf's Up mm. when it was un- unreleased and of course remained unreleased for, for many years it was a centrepiece of Smile Yeah, but it's a great documentary isn't it there's a lot of Graham Goldman songs in fact there's a fascinating early section where Leonard Bernstein dissects Beatles music mm. in much the way we're attempting to do it but he's probably doing it a lot more professionally than we are um, but um, there's also a great section with Herman's Hermit's and the Hollies on tour, I think, in, a, in the States. I think the Hollies were supporting Herman's Hermits. And this is where Graham's in the back of the taxi with them, is that right? And then on stage? Uh, I don't see Graham on stage, but there's a lovely section where uh, Peter Noon and Graham Nash are kind of arguing ah, yes. uh, earnestly about the, inf- the, the possibility of, uh, you know, of youth, if you like, and the power oh, of rock Graham's talking music. about his parents, isn't he? Graham's in there, yeah, and he, he's always... Uh, Graham Nash is quite abrasive, you know, he's, um, uh, you know, uh, not exactly inciting revolution, but he's, he's very, very passionate about the power that music might hold, and mm. Peter Noon's taking a kind of professional view, pretty mature, and Graham's also very measured and, and just chipping in about how the world's changed. It's a fascinating fly-on-the-wall mm. documentary. would really um, recommend anybody have a look at that. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Perhaps we can play a short section. And it kind of illustrates what he's talking about in the Brian Wilson section, where he's talking about this, this ferment, I think he calls it, of young people, this kind of melting pot of new ideas, mm. kind of a, 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 a wanting to create some kind of revolution, moving away from their parents' influence into a greater awareness of, of stuff, you know, whether it's um, art or the self or politics or drugs or, or what have you. It's a, it, it really is a kind of a... That conversation with the three of them is like yeah. a little microcosm of what was happening in in particularly the, the more... the hippie generation, wasn't yes. it? I mean, my parents probably would think the idea of going to the moon was absolutely preposterous, but to us it's like it's going to happen tomorrow. We it's might come be going place. to... It's commonplace. Therefore, your own mind is broadened. Yeah, but why, Graham? Why is why is your mind much broader than your father's? I'm not saying because it's, the I'm not things saying around me, because things that were impossible to my father are so are ha- going to happen today and tomorrow. Yes, it's pivotal, I think, because Graham Nash is extolling the virtues almost of the generation gap. Mm. But one of the things I find interesting. A lovely song, East, the the Graham Gorman song "East West," sung by Herman's Hermits, is yeah. featured, and that is a real bonding song. It's a song about family, like so many of these his early songs yes. are, and that just shows another way. Really, it's not all about fighting in the streets. That's about integration in a very sort of humble, down home way, right. almost. And of course, there's another great Graham song, "My My Father," isn't there? Where the, it's very much looking up to uh, the father figure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, as time goes on, that seems a much more mature view to take. I mean, a couple of years later, but Jim Morrison, for example, pretended his father was dead, you know, Charming. because it wasn't hip. Rather to admit um, 
you know, <laughs> uh, that his father was alive and well. Whereas wow. you have Graham, uh, ex you know, um, playing tribute to his father yeah. directly on, on My Father. And then, of course, sorry to butt in, but t typically when Morrissey covers East West, yeah. uh, he, he takes out the kind of mother-father element, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, again, so that still pervades. I find that fascinating. Yeah, he does Maybe it. he just goes with miserable, moody singers. Yeah, he, d he doesn't like the bit where it talks about the <laughs> mum, mum dad and all the relations. Yeah. That just wouldn't work for Morrissey would it he makes it into something darker I found that really fascinating but I do like his <laughs> yeah. version yes, and I do too. I do like that he pays tribute to Manchester music of the 60s yeah. on that song which which he does often Mom, Dad all round the fire in festive attire keeping the day everything classic nothing is tacky only the best I really admire the intro to Behind the Door. Um, essentially, it's quite simple in that there are just two chords to my ears, an E minor, and then it moves to C major 7th, but the the bottom E string, the E note, is still ringing out to my ears. So if you could play that, Paul, just E minor. Yeah. And then don't play the G at the bottom, just keep the E. That second chord is incredibly rich. It's full of tension, it isn't really it? It really is. And, and so when we hear the riff... There's only one note difference between those those two melodic melodic lines. That's right. The but B the, the B goes up to a C, just that's a semitone right. up. That's it. It's just a semitone up. A, such a subtle change. But they are different colours, aren't they? It's full of foreboding. Yeah. The interesting thing about that that riff, and and we'll perhaps talk about the lyrics to Behind the Door later. Oh yes, crikey. Is that We've talked about Graham always giving you value for money and always and often or nearly always giving you a great riff to kind of send off a song that is not always the same as the verse. Here, this very ominous riff um, bookends a song. It starts it and it ends it. Yeah. You, you return to this ominous feel at the end of the lyric and I think that's a, a master stroke, actually. Yes, I know. It's, it's like um, it makes it... An incredibly neat composition as well. There's a completeness to it. Yeah, that that's right. It's like you've opened a chapter and you've closed a chapter. Yeah, like, like curtains opening and closing. Yeah, which of course is is the central metaphor of the song. I hadn't thought of that. Absolutely, that, that's, that's great. And we, of course, we'll, we'll come on to talk about a, a seemingly an obsession with windows and doors peering in on people's lives. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, behind the door, I don't know whether you noticed, is a, is a phrase in No Milk Today. That's right. Um, I think um, well, we know that um, uh, there's a, a musical being worked on about the songs of 10CC, but mm. I think you could actually do a great musical just based around Graham's 60s songs. Yeah, I can see the stage set. They're of a piece. Um, they're, it's like the all-seeing eye looking at, you know, people going about their business Look, they are looking through any window yeah they're character songs but they um uh, and, and you've got that um the you know the, the manchester pervades pervades mm. the songs as well yeah um and there's a 
a lot of these songs are, are, are scratching away at the, the sort of the unseen, dark, what's the word, underbelly of Manchester life, aren't they? It's not always quite as as chummy and happy-go-lucky as it would seem. No, that's there right. There are darker things through, you know, inside those houses behind the curtains. Yeah. However, there, there's, there is some sunny songs about Manchester. Do you know the, this, this song, Nice to Be Out in the Morning by Herman's Hermits? Yeah, it's like, it mentions one of, the place, one of the parts of Manchester that I used to live in. It mentions Wally Range. Yeah, well... And I, that really I, tickled me. Yeah, Wally Range where the Tomcats roam. And it mentions the, uh, tr- um, the the Holy Trinity of Charlton, Best and Law, doesn't it? With that wonderful line, it's not the Taj Mahal, but it's ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's not brilliant. the it's not the sights of Rome, but it's home. Yeah, it's nice to be out in the morning when you've got no place to go. And it's got that lovely as the relative change the relative major again. The first two chords. Da, 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 da. And then the harmonic rhythm doubles. That's just a way of saying the chords move twice as fast. There we go. Back to what I was saying. Yeah. Oh, too many chords for you. It's no, it's just typical. Yeah. Best and law. It's not the much of Rome, but it's home. I'm playing that wrong, but again, he's giving you value for money. You get a little riff there. Or, or it's a very small riff, but you still get your your, your riff inc- included in your takeaway sure. song. And do I see a cheeky B seven stuck on the end of? A, yeah, well, is that in the that's E minor? You can't read it. That's yeah, e, e, minor, e minor, G, and C. So they're all within E minor or G. There it is. And then you bang in a yeah. B seven. A bit of spice. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course there is. Yeah. It's very much these. These are very much trademarks of Graham's writing, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. The craftsman at work there. I, I love. I love that song. And that was a. Uh, uh, not a hit or even a single, I think, but it was it was released by um, Herman's Hermits. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to be out in the morning when you've got somewhere to go. But seeing the same old places that can make you feel so low. Hardwick green where the grass is grey, pheasant human harper hay. Wally Range where the tomcats roam. Um, and there's a, a lovely kind of compliment that song very much about Manchester there's a complimentary one what's it called about London the London look the London look and I think those those two uh, are nice kind of uh, they complement each uh, other very and the much. London look if we can play a, a short little clip of, of that one uh, Paul it's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of there being occasionally just too many chords <laughs> for me to d- to to get to get my ears hooked round it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, uh, we can have a listen to it and, and see if you agree. Sure. I saw her in Piccadilly. She had an air from several eyes were rather chilly, but I asked her if she'd care. So Graham had some extraordinary success as a songwriter at a very young age, didn't he? First hit at, what, age 19? And um, a a slew of of big hits over those next couple of years. That's right. And then, just as quickly, the hits dried up. Yeah. Which must have been slightly disconcerting for him because he was still writing great stuff. But for whatever reason, the hits stopped coming. Yeah. Which is interesting. From sort of, what, 67 to 
72 was yeah. he with well with a a brief cameo as the lead singer <laughs> accidental lead singer on Susan's tuba in France I'm not sure whether he likes to be reminded <laughs> according um, to what Harvey told yeah, us yeah and I think you you did some great research there because the version on the strawberry bubblegum cd isn't Graham singing is it but no, you found right. a version the hit version in France presumably which really was him singing hosted by a frenchman on youtube yeah. <laughs> Uh, which, you know, that's the version he'd have in his attic. Yeah, because, that, uh, that's right. Susan's got a party, poopy-poopy-dolly, pardon me, I've got a fly. Poopy-poopy-dolly, Susan's got a party, everyone is getting high. I'll arrive, knock on the door, it opens up, and on the floor is hitless for five years yes i mean that that sort of makes it sound perhaps worse than it was artistically he was he was doing some great stuff towards the end of that period that that's perhaps something different but you know in the mid mid 60s he was still having hits um do you know the song tally man by jeff beck yeah quite good that was a follow-up to hi-ho silver lining (laughs) yeah it? it was great song and quite rocky again again the the um, lyrical theme there of I didn't know what a tally man was, but it's basically a debt collector, isn't it? Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So this theme of money and and mm. uh, uh, you know money matters comes in again and again. Yeah, that, that kind of we'll, we'll talk about pawnbroker, won't we later yeah. when we yeah. talk about the, the Graham Gorman thing? Gorman thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, and of course Eric uh, was uh, that, that was a, a key fixation of his as well so the two of them the together. two of them together yeah could have gone into partnership <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, so Taliwan it has it, it's reminiscent slightly to me of, of for your love in that you've got those chromatic descending guitar and bass notes yeah at the start yeah um, very much a, a trademark mm. of, of Graham's stuff many of his 60s tunes start with a an interesting intricate guitar riff yeah that's they? right as we were saying he, he always has a not always but often has a separate riff um and the song could those songs could exist without that riff because it's not like a beatles thing like um ticket to ride say or exactly or i feel fine where the actual the song couldn't exist without the riff because it comes out of the riff that's right these, and, and the song uh, the melody lives on top of the riff yeah, doesn't it these are different little sections yes. it's almost like a Bee Gees level of craftsmanship you know how they always give you these little icons at the beginning of Chain Reaction or you know More Than A Woman or yeah. any number Woman In Love any number of these songs which have their own little you know little symphony at the start um, but uh yeah, um, I, I really like Tally Man. I mean, of course, it's got great guitar on it. It would have, because it's Jeff Beck. It's almost something Paul Weller could have done. That's I right. I, li- I like the sort of dirty, almost lazy style of, of guitar playing on this one. It's really, really nice. You can really hear Jeff, Jeff Beck's sort of blues influence. <laughs> brought in a an interesting 
flavour, didn't he, to, to Yardbirds? He was bringing in more sort of electronic effects and, and, and oh, things. Was he? I don't know much about I think him. Clapton was more of a traditionalist. Okay. Um, and, and I suppose Jeff Beck was helping them move towards a more psychedelic sound with right. those effects. Okay. But yeah, I, I find this an interesting record. Yeah, it's a good track and it was a hit. I think top 20 or 30 or something. Okay, well, I, I, I didn't even know that. Another hit which we haven't talked about yet was Pamela Pamela. Yeah. Which was written for Wayne Fontana um, uh, after he'd left the Mindbenders. Irritates uh, me a bit, that one, Paul. Do you not like it? No, it's the... Yeah. It's I, a, I find the lyrics especially twee. It is, yeah, towards the twee end of the scale, isn't it? Yeah, the kind of... And the, 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 the kind of... Yeah. The melody and the rhythm is a bit kind of... It's childish, but not in a in a particularly good way. Um, and I like the idea of those lovely memories, like wooden lollipop sticks that yeah, splintery sticks, that, sticky that, red lorries. That will you know that will cut your tongue in half yeah. because they're, they're they're full of splinters. I like the idea of that. Yeah. But somehow, lyrics and lyrics and melody don't marry together to make those memories in any way poignant for me I it's just a bit a little bit silly i think there I say it. is a poignancy there despite the silliness because there's a sense of loss you know you started to grow the, the, the girl leaves him behind almost she grows up too fast and and i think there are as ever you can rely on graham to put in some nice minor chords to kind <laughs> yeah. of tug your heartstrings so uh yeah I, jury's out perhaps between us but i like that one too when Laurel and Hardy are shown at the flicks With sticky red lilies on splintery sticks Pigtails and ribbons and crushes on mist Secret discussions about a first kiss You were young and everything was new Impatient to do things you couldn't do hit so uh, I'm afraid I'm, I'm in the minority there aren't I? <laughs> yeah interestingly when I saw um, Graham Gulman Heartful of Songs show he opened the show with that and he just sang it on his own with the acoustic guitar and then okay. he started to build the band up so I guess he must be proud of that song I'm really looking forward to seeing that show next year yeah the Royal Northern College of Music yeah. in April uh, he's, he's doing a tour and it uh, for me that's more interesting than seeing another 10cc tour Although I haven't seen one of those for a while either, because I, I really hope he digs a bit deep into his song catalogue. Yeah, and, and so it's a little bit more than than for your love and bus stop. I hope so. I hope so. But you're dying for him to, to yeah. play behind the door and stuff. Aren't uh, you? Well, I'd settle for the whole Animal Olympics album played <laughs> yeah. in sequence. I'd, uh, seriously, joking aside, uh, I'd, I'd be happy with oh, that. I hope we get to talk about Animal Olympics, or perhaps well, in another episode. Oh, we'll go. Well, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. have a look at some of these other kind of maybe non-hits or lesser known songs just throwing out a few at, at random do you know the late mr late oh that's a cracker that is a psychedelic cracker isn't it yeah. that was released on the on the marmalade, on the marmalade label album. it's yeah. on the same album as to fly away that's right they're side by side on that album aren't they oh are they are they next tracks to each yeah, other yeah i've never actually heard the the album in its entirety but right just the track listing alone and the list of our artists you know julie driscoll and people like that yeah um yeah and this is a really interesting tr track and 
A very strawberry sound, I think. I, I, I take it it was recorded at Strawberry. Oh, that's a really good question. It was a bit later, wasn't it? So was it sixty nine? So yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It could be it could be a strawberry recording. Yeah, and it it's reminiscent, I think, of of Sausalito. There's a similar kind of guitar riff uh, in Late Mr. Oh, Late. I hadn't picked to up Sausalito. on that. And I remember Harvey was saying that that riff. Kind of was recycled, wasn't it? A number of times, uh, and yeah. possibly this was was where it, it may have it may have started life. I like the wry humour. He's late for his own funeral, yeah. which is which is quite nice. But what what I especially like about this one is going back to what we said about yeah. some of the other stuff. Is that you have lovely shifts of tone and feel in a lot of Graham's stuff, and I really like how it shifts into that almost proggy B three Hammond organ and flute section yeah. uh, for for a kind of middle eight. It's not a middle eight because it happens twice, I think. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what you were saying about him throwing in these unidentifiable sections. Right, okay, um, okay. But but I really <laughs> like I really like that change of feel. And of course we've got Kev on drums on this one as well. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Is that for sure? Well, it, according to my my uh, my wiki friends, okay. Um it does appear that, that Kev's on this, as, as well as, of course, being the drummer in The Mockingbirds as well. Yeah, yeah of course, that's right. Yeah, yeah sure. But I think it's a strong one. Um, the, the riff is strong, reminiscent of Heartful of Soul, I think. And I think some of his riffs are similar. But I think generally the, uh, his riffs are strong. I imagine that he sat for hours and hours, you know, Paul, mm. uh, building, building up those complex riffs. They're always very thoughtful, aren't they, somehow? Yes, they don't sound like they came spontaneously. They're, they not, sound... jammed, they're not jammed in a, in a rehearsal room, are they, with no, a bunch of musicians? they're composed, aren't they, they like are. the rest of the song. Yeah. That's, that's why they're, they're, they're so great, I think. Yes. Do you know the song I'm Gonna Take You There by Dave Berry? Yes, and, and <clears throat> I'm genuinely not a fan of, of Dave Berry. No, I don't uh, like his voice particularly. I really, I, re- I really don't like his voice, uh, particularly on Chaplin House, the the old Godly and Cream number. Well, it's a terrible vocal. I think, yeah, it's it's. Um, by the way, I've got a feeling that we asked Kevin about that song, and I think not only was it recorded at Strawberry, but it sounds like Kevin Lawler on backing vocals to me. On the Dave Berry version. Yeah, I think I think you could be right. Yeah, sorry, Dave Berry, but when you hear Dave Berry's version and, and Kevin Godley's version, <laughs> it, it, it just sounds like a completely different song, really. And that's having that's the what it means to have a great singer. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. But I'm going to take you there. Okay, is a really good version. It actually makes Dave Berry sound like a, a, an almost decent singer. I really like the production of it. It's thick. 
Yeah. Um, and interesting. Um, it's got a variation of what we were saying just now about uh, Graham's almost sort of obligatory riff to start a song. Mm-hmm. Rather than it being on a, a quite a jangly guitar, this one's played on a harpsichord playing octaves. Right. And that's a very interesting flavour. Mm. I'm trying to recall the song. It, 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 it sounds a bit more like Burt Bacharach or something, doesn't it? It's quite a big, almost like a torch song. Yes. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and there's a, there's a thickness to the arrangement, which I, I think is, is really nice. Mm. Great production, I think, on that. There's a few other uh, other odd, odd ones I like. I like. Do you know the song Marcel by um, by Herman's Hermits? Co-written with Harvey. Yeah, Harvey's in the list of writers. But the thing I like about that song, you can sort of tell. I think you can tell the bit Graham wrote. It's the kind of it, it kind of goes up a gear when it's got those rotating two chords again. That's right. Yes, uh, uh, and with with the, the the little quick accidental chord chord thrown in. Yeah. Yeah, for me the, the the start of each verse sounds like it might have been a Harvey thing. Yes, and then and then 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 it's almost like they were we're a bit stuck here, Graham. Can you just come in and yeah. add add a nice bit to our song? That's it's, it's a particular non favourite of mine actually. Is it? Okay. Even though I I'm utterly tickled by the depiction of this kind of debauched houseboat in, in Wapping where all this sort of gender fluidity uh, stuff goes on. Must be a real. Uh, it's such an odd, specific lyric. You think it is probably a real. I suspect real... it was. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, it's quite good. The, the, the blokes have got long eyelashes, haven't they? And, and the women have got beards. <laughs> <laughs> How very current. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, interesting lyrically. It, it's it's amusing to me, but um, it's it's not one that I enjoy from a musical point of view. With unfamiliar features, Greeks and Turks with quirks and Levantine. Men with long eyelashes and ladies with moustaches. On Marcel's creaking house, it's on the tent. There really is so much material spun out everywhere. Um, have you seen on YouTube? Uh, there's some acetates of completely unreleased Goldman songs. There's one called Wheel Spins. Yeah, we've got. Uh, we've got. A track sheet of that, Paul. We have got uh, a from track Harvey's sheet of that. Uh, Harvey's kind donation of all those wonderful session sheets and everything. Yes, I'm we, um, just trying it'll to take us a couple of minutes to find that. Yeah, unfortunately, from our point of view, most of this stuff wasn't strawberry. Hang on. Oh, I tell you what. I've, sorry, I tell you what I found there. Look, Babylon's burning by the Ruts. Oh, crikey! Yeah. Oh, you you found it there, Paul. I found it here. It's um, old style Strawberry Studios. Um, font and, and listings so it, it's, it's obviously a, an early version yeah uh, the tape box says Strawberry Studios artist Graham Goldman 
there's there's four tracks on here uh, there's my new day and age which of course is a is an eric song yeah the, the, from the mindbenders reason to believe and i've seen variations of that title elsewhere it's a graham song but I, i'm not familiar with the song itself and then wheel spins um, and this is just a series of takes so whether this is the same version that appears on that acetate or a different version, I, mm. I, I don't know. Yes, because the, the version that I listened to on YouTube the other day, recorded in 69, I believe, sounds more like a demo to me. Yes, it does, doesn't and it? And sung in a key that doesn't quite suit his voice, it goes a bit too high in places. Right. But it's got that same chromatic descending <clears throat> notes uh element that we were talking about with Tallyman and so on and yeah. of course it's, it's very much a strong part of For Your Love um, so very much a trademark Graham song Yeah, and again the theme of gambling wheel spins, I wasn't sure what that was about with just the oh, title yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, 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 it's the roulette wheel isn't it? So yes, definitely uh, there are a few um, really interesting records uh, around that time and I'll come on to my, my particular favourite in a minute Paul but okay. I wonder, can you guess what the top three currently the top three all-time graham gouldman streamed songs are on spotify oh that's a very good question this is if you put graham gouldman with in him as, as, an artist, as the artist yeah oh well i'm um, i'm guessing since he's re-recorded all his big hits um for your love or bus stop that's it they're the top two but number three okay is really interesting and until extremely recently, I'd never even heard it before. Okay, it's please. a very Motowny one. Right, please do tell because I'm stop, stop, stop. Oh, can yes. you believe that that's the third most streamed Graham Goldman? That's fascinating. It I, really I, is. I wonder whether it's found its way to a playlist or something, which could, that can sometimes artificially bump up the number of downloads. Yeah, I mean, it was covered by the Hollies, wasn't it? Well, now I think this is a different song. We probably need to check on this. The book, the Hollies had a hip hit with Stop, 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 but I believe it's a completely different song. Okay. See the girl with symbols on her fingers entering through the door Ruby glistening from her navel shimmering around the floor I can't stop myself believing that you like to see me grieving oh, So stop, stop, stop Oh honey, I'll be gone Yes, yeah, so interestingly, completely different song to, to the Hollies one. Yeah, with the same odd same title. Yeah, yeah. Harvey producing uh, the, the Graham version. Oh, well, he done a damn good job there. Absolutely, and it, it's quite an authentic Motowny sound, I think. It's a great Motown sound. It's a kind of northern soul yeah. hybrid almost. With that, that double that double time snare uh, yeah. and everything. Yeah, really good. Um, and you've got the, the Sam and Dave horn. Uh, parts, yeah, um, yeah, very effective, and mm. uh, I think a great vocal from Graham. Yeah, one of his one of his best. Yes, because he doesn't always hit it, does he, as a lead vocalist? No, particularly on the more demanding, slower songs. And I have a feeling you're going to maybe mention some of the the vocals on the Graham Goldman thing. Yeah, I love him as I do. I, yeah. um, sometimes he falls <clears throat> short as a singer. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly in those early days. Um, I feel strongly that actually his, his vocals on the more recent albums in the, the noughties and, and more recently um, are much stronger actually. Agreed, agreed. One of the, the ones that, has, that I've really enjoyed 
again, until recently had never heard it before, was a track by Garden Odyssey Enterprise from 69. Oh, refresh my memory. Sad and Lonely. Uh, that's, I probably sent you the link, maybe, but I've, yes. already, I've already forgotten how that one goes. Well, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's more direct and hooky. With, there's great energy here. Right. Um, and it's, <coughs> I like it because it's kind of moving into, into sort of psychedelic territory. And it reminds me, there's a, a wonderful album that I grew up with as a kid. It was on so often in our house when I was very young. I don't know if you've ever heard the London Symphony Orchestra version of the Who's Tommy, where you've got guest vocalists. The, the Who are all on it, yes. playing the the band. But everything's embellished with these um, very lovely dark kind of orchestral parts, and some very funky kind of harpsichord and sort of weird flangey effects and so on. It's a, it's a, it's a cracker, but part of Sad and Lonely here reminds me of the version of I think Sparks from from this album okay. uh, where you've got um, psychedelic effects and so on and, and, and the kind of rhythms going on so I, I like it Trademark Goldman riff over changing chords, which I, I, I really enjoy. The length is interesting as well. It's it's about four minutes long, mm. um, which is kind of pushing the boundaries a bit. And I like it when Graham is pushing boundaries. I'll have to reacquaint myself with that. Dare I say it, the, the, the chords have slowed down to the point where the, 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 <laughs> the, the catchy melody's got some oxygen to, to operate in. It's I like it a lot. It's funny, you know, Sean, because... Um, as I say, I might have sent you that link and, and that song I'd kind of forgotten about and maybe, you know, Horses for Courses. It, I like lots of chords, and um, but it's a great R&B track, isn't it? Oh, it really is. It yeah. really is. And possibly recorded at Strawberry. Slightly, maybe slightly too roomy to, to be a Strawberry recording. Could be, couldn't it? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. someone might have um, stuck a mic down the lift shaft just to give it a bit of grit. <laughs> Um, are there any other of these these near misses and, and complete misses, Paul, that you want to talk about before I talk to you about my favourite of the misses? No, you go ahead. Well, um, it, I've got a clear favourite. Okay. And <clears throat> both versions that I know are both my favourite of Graham's non-hits. Okay. Uh, and that's a song that he wrote, uh, I think, in, in 66. And the, the UK version of it came out on Parlophone and it's a song that was picked up by Friday Brown uh-huh. again she's a name that came out on those track sheets and tape sheets when yes we were yes up at Strawberry 
Um, but this is a song called Getting Nowhere. Uh, yes, this is the one Tony Basil did as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, with a, another wonderful version, I think. Right. Um, she changed the, the title to reflect the first line in the song, I, I'm 28. Um, and I, I think this is an absolute incredible recording. Um, for a start, the, the song's interesting rhythmically. It's, it's got a kind of a very fast waltz time to it. I think it's in 12-8, okay. but it's got more of the one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three sort of feel, which, which puts it apart from most, most pop songs. Mm-hmm. There's such a great atmosphere. Interesting chords, as, you, as you'd expect from, from a Graham tune. But for me, it's the arrangement and the production that set it apart. And it, it's, it's quite dense. And for me, you've got some throwbacks to what Brian Wilson was doing with Pet Sounds uh, in the way he was combining woodwind instruments, um, where you've got two or three-part harmony played on different woodwind um, in a very interesting way. Almost mellotron actually, to be honest. You think it's not a mellotron, it is genuine I, th- I think it's genuine, uh, genuine woodwind. Graham the producer on this is he listed as producer be interesting I'm not sure I'm not sure if it if it were then he did a brilliant job I think certainly Friday Brown was um, you know a Manchester singer wasn't that's right and a cracking cracking singer yeah so I imagine he would have been involved certainly in some way with that recording sure and it reminds production wise it reminds me of a couple of things one is a, a northern soul classic uh, by a band that, that disappeared without trace before it was picked up from a, a bargain bin. And that's uh, Nothing But A Heartache by The Flirtation. Oh, that's an awesome song. Isn't that a fantastic song? And, and it reminds me, the thickness of that reminds me of, of, of the, the textures going on in this record. Right, right. Um, with a similar vocal delivery. But this and quite a few of Graham's other 60s material, and we'll touch on this when we talk about the Graham Gouldman thing, is a... F- some parallels with one of my favourite producers from the States mm-hmm. um, and a contemporary of, of what's going on here, Lee Hazelwood. Right. Most right. famous for, for the productions he did for, for Nancy Sinatra. Yes. Um, I mean, he's, he's famous for a couple of, of very strange psychedelic um, alt-country things, uh, Some Velvet Morning, a duet he did with, with Nancy Sinatra, which is incredible and a solo record of his, which I absolutely adore. Some velvet morning when I'm straight I'm gonna Let my blood pressure go on its way Cause my autumn's done come My autumn's done come 
done come. My autumn's done come. Fantastic record. But you see where where I'm coming from yeah, there, Paul. Definitely. Just those, those very subtle shifts from major to minor. They're so effective. Agreed completely. I mean, it, it, lyrically, a world away uh, from from the way that, that Graham would have, have written. Oh, definitely. Um, but musically, there's a real connection. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, there's some real, some really mature sentiments in a lot of these songs, Paul. Um, and the fact this this song is is very much talking about the sense of trepidation about reaching the end of, of your 20s, isn't it? And going into, into proper adulthood. I'm 20, it's getting late. What have I got to do? Listening to the Consequences podcast, produced by Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Thanks for listening.